We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always my co-host Nick Pilato. Today we're here to break down the most recent three days of Giants training camp practices. That would be the Sunday practice, or I'm sorry, the Monday practice, the Tuesday practice, and today's Wednesday practice. Not all padded practices, but all practices had drills designed to improve the roster, get things up to speed, get things going for what will be their first scrimmage this Friday at FanFest, and then next Thursday, their first preseason game. We don't know yet which players will and won't play in the preseason game, the first game. I don't necessarily, with only three, I would think we might get to see some of that first-team offense, first-team defense, but it's all up in the air right now. We, Dave's hasn't really said anything um, confirmative. Like, there's been no confirmation either way on that, so we'll see. But time will tell. But we want to get into some notes from practice is uh these these last three days i think at least for the two on monday and tuesday the giants themselves did a nice couple videos breaking down training camp live one with madeline burke and sean o'hara another with bob papa and howard cross we won't get to today's yet uh the wednesday practice because it comes out at night but having said that those videos are nice because it's like 22 minutes long each there's some video in there, so you can break down the video on your TV and on a bigger screen. Not like a, a video that's shot from from those bleachers. So I do feel like there was a lot to glean from that that we'll get to on today's show as well. Where do you want to start, Nick? I feel like we can we can break this down by practice or key points, how, however you're feeling it. Yeah, I think key points is probably the best way. And again, this is training camp. We always preface everything like that. But I want to start, I guess, with the defensive line and the edge group because it seems like. In these team periods, whether it's 11-11, 9 whatever, the Giants' edge rushers and defensive line are somewhat dominating the, the offensive line. Now, I'm not there watching everything. I'm just going off of what the people on the beat are saying and all the video that I can consume and all the video that I can find. But people are raving about Leonard Williams. They're raving about Dexter Lawrence. You hear names like O'Shane Zimenez coming up with sacks. Quincy Roche, Ellerson Smith is getting a lot of hype. So for a team that didn't necessarily have any, you know, quote unquote, real pass rushers just a few years ago, it seems like this group has just been infused with young talent. And, you know, the centerpiece of that is obviously Kayvon Thibodeau. And I love watching the clips of Kayvon Thibodeau versus Andrew Thomas. Andrew Thomas looks great. Kayvon will get him here and there. Andrew Thomas, though, he's the one person on the offensive line that I'm like, all right, I'm very comfortable with that left tackle spot. Yeah, without a doubt. I think one of the key concepts and one of the key themes so far of training camp has been this edge group is a little bit deeper than anyone I've expected. I think we're seeing really good camps out of Quincy Roche, really good camps out of O'Shane Zimenez, who has been a bit of a surprise on that front. And even player like Tom and Fox and Ellerson, and we all know Ellerson Smith and his explosion that's shown up multiple times, but even a player like Tom and Fox, who's made some good plays so far. 
especially in these one-on-ones. And I think the big deal here is also this, at least until these last two practices on Tuesday and Wednesday, the defense has been way ahead of the offense and they've been giving them a lot of trouble with would-be sacks on a lot of these, you know, 11 on 11s, nine on seven type plays, or not the nine on sevens, the sevens and the 11s. You're getting would-be sacks that would stop up the play. We don't see it in the practice because they're taught not to sack them, not to touch the quarterback. Um, <laughs> there was actually a, a couple plays earlier in, in yesterday in Tuesday's practice where O'Shane got a little too close to Daniel Jones and Brian Dable had a earful for him. But it's been interesting. There's a lot of different players coming off the And I had a feeling this would happen, Nick, where there would be surprise performances in camp from a lot of these edge guys because the system really does, in my mind at least, Cater to these types of plays, cater to these types of players, these plays cater to edges looking better than maybe we thought they would be because it's a very aggressive system and there's going to be a lot of blitz calls and there's going to be a lot of opportunities for these guys. But what's really stood out to me is the one-on-ones. I mean, these guys are winning a lot of the one-on-ones. Speaking of, you know, just the opposite side of things, Andrew Thomas, you mentioned, who's had a phenomenal camp and you want to, you want to talk about it because look, these one-on-ones are designed to be advantageous to the edge guys, advantageous to the pass rushers. It's a really tough, you're getting two-way goes every single time. You wouldn't be getting that a lot of the time in real game situations. You'd have the guard help. You'd have the offensive line shifting in some degree, and you'd have other players on the field. And so for Andrew Thomas to be locked as locked down as he has in all of these drills, it's really impressive. On the flip side of things, Evan Neal's actually having a little bit of trouble so far in camp. This has been a constant thing I've seen now kind of pop up day after day after day. Evan Neal struggling a bit. What do you make of that? Is it just a situation where, look, these are tough drills to kind of to kind of, um, you know, evaluate for offensive tackles? Well, I think it's that. I mean, you're on an island. It's typically yeah. catered a little bit more to the defense, but it does seem like his set points. And this is something that Andrew Thomas struggled with a little bit, right? His set points aren't always there. He's not maybe gaining the depth or getting cutting the angle off of the rusher like he should be to protect that outside shoulder. I mean, the one clip against O'Shane Zimenez. Zimenez did a really good job kind of tempoing the pass rush. He kind of, it wasn't a stutter step. He just kind of hit him with an inside hard jab foot that just kind of stopped Evan Neal's feet. And then O'Shane Zimenez, a much more explosive player than Evan Neal, just kind of shot up the arc and turned the corner and was virtually untouched. Now, it, it's it's one of those situations where you want Evan Neal to gain the depth and not allow that to happen. That's obviously not something that you want to see. But we knew Evan Neal had some deficiencies coming in. He was my number one ranked tackle. I'm comfortable with that ranking. But there were times in college where he specifically, we we talked about his balance issues, but there were also times where his set point wasn't always excellent. I, I don't have concerns about it long term, but I'm not necessarily shocked that we're seeing it kind of come up here in training camp, especially in these one-on-ones against these very, very quick type of pass rushers who can win the edge. He just needs to be more consistent with his technique, kick out and cut that angle off, maybe a little bit more confident. The speed of the NFL is much different even than the speed of the SEC. I'll say this. It's a good point you make because look, we have to understand and, and put into perspective, these guys are rookies. Like We love Evan Neal as a prospect. I actually think it's going to be a pretty good rookie season, all things considered. But that's not a lock. There's a big range of outcomes that could happen. I mean, he doesn't have those Rashawn Slater feet and foot quickness. He doesn't have that. And that's okay. He's a different kind of player. He has things that Slater does not have. He has size and length that Slater does not have. But these guys who are just quick studies in the NFL recently, in recent years, Slater and Tristan Wirfs, they have incredible uh, foot quickness and, and athleticism in the lower half that I don't really think that even a guy like Evan Neal or even Andrew Thomas, who's now kind of morphed himself into a dominant, it feels like he's kind of turning the page into becoming a dominant left tackle. He was damn close last year. Naturally, it wasn't there for him. And that's why kind of right away, in my mind at least, he struggled a bit in his rookie season. That could be the case for Evan Neal as well. That's in the range of outcomes. We kind of turned the page on that because we've gotten used to these quick studies um, in recent years at tackle. But it's not always the case. We have to be patient with that. I think there's at least a chance that it might be a little bit of a learning curve for him. He may go through something similar to what Thomas went through maybe in his beginning stages. But at the same time, I'm not so sure just because when we actually get to it, like we're seeing this in the one-on-ones more so, I feel like, Nick, we're seeing the the reps that Neil's losing. But when we get to the actual 11-on-11s and when we get to the actual regular season, this offense, to me at least, seems like it's such a lock to be such a catch the ball and shotgun or, or play action, turn your hips and throw the ball. I feel like there's just going to be fewer situations that he has to deal with where it's these five, seven step drop, you know, a lot of long progression plays where it's designed to get the ball into intermediate or or something of that nature over the middle at some point. So I think that the system that spread heavy, 
quick hitting system will also kind of lend itself to fewer mistakes from Neil early on, or at least kind of a easier transition. That's the thought process behind it, right? Get the football out of Daniel Jones hands, simplify it, and then don't put so much pressure on this offensive line. And like we've said on previous podcasts, offensive line that optimized has two rookies starting on it. And that could be another reason why we're seeing the defense kind of dominate the offensive line, even in these more team type periods is you didn't have John Feliciano for two of these practices, two of these two practices. He returned today, which is Wednesday, August 3rd, and you were just shuffling pieces. So there's not a lot of continuity right now. You have a lot of young players here. They're still trying to figure things out in the first week of training camp. And that's another reason why we might see the offensive line play a little bit worse than what we expect. Yeah, and that's, I mean, we all have high expectations for this offensive line this year, and that's that's fine to have. But as you've said, so far in camp, at least, the only one who's been, the only one who I feel has been dominant has been Andrew Thomas. It's the only one sure thing I feel like we've had so far in camp. And that may, early on in the season, that may be the case. Even throughout the whole season, like there's no guarantee this line is such a lock to be so much better. It feels like it has a better chance to be better than it's, no, it definitely has a better chance to be better than it's had in years, maybe five to 10 years. That's how good the talent is and the potential is. But like you said, potentially two starting rookies, maybe one, potentially uh, or definitely four new players on this line from last year's group. So it's no lock. (laughs) It's no guarantee. And we just have to kind of watch that projection or that trajectory and, and hope that they can kind of improve day after day. And again, look better in the actual drills that matter, the 11 on 11s and the like these one on ones are fun to see. But like we've said, it's an advantage for the defensive linemen. So I want to talk a little bit more about some other things from Monday's practice stood out to me. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? Do you like to place bets and find ways to optimize your betting experience? Well, then OddsTrader.com is the place for you. OddsTrader is a place to compare odds from all the major sports books. You can also compare the different sign-up codes and promotions from sports books to get the best deal. OddsTrader offers handicapping, play-by-play updates, player statistics, key game statistics, live scoring and tracking, projected game day, weather, and Bet Tracker allows you to keep records of all your games and betting activity. So if you like to place bets and you want to get the most out of that experience, go to oddstrader.com and use the promo code BLUEWIRE. That's oddstrader.com slash BLUEWIRE. OddsTrader, the number one site for all your game day bets. The first being Brian Baldinger, who was at practice and later went on to say, he feels like from what he's seen so far at the at practice, and it's only one day sample size, but the Giants are really going to be a spread-heavy offense, an offense that has a lot of speed on the field at a lot of times and has just typically five guys protecting. What are your thoughts on this style of offense and how the Giants can kind of transition to it? Because, again, it's brand new for them. Like Jason Garrett had some concepts where he went empty and he had some concepts where he kind of tried to do things of this nature, but it was not the crux of the offense and it was not the base offense by any means. So is this something they can transition to fast? Is it easier maybe to transition to this style of offense versus kind of a defense going through a transition? I don't know if it's easier to transition to, to that style of offense. It's a totally different offense, new terminology. Everybody needs to get on the same page in a variety of different ways from pass protections to route concepts. And we know that from Brian Dable's press conference this morning, 
and from previous things that he said, this offense is going to have a lot of those Kevin Gilbride option type of routes where the receiver and the quarterback need to be on the same page pre-snap. And then that has to also happen post-snap. They have to read the same thing. So they put a high priority on wide receivers who have high mental processing, mental acuity, and they can process things very, very quickly, i.e. a Wandell Robinson. So I think there could be struggles, I guess, to learning this new type of offense, but it's still wildly refreshing to me, the fact that I feel like they're going to be much more adaptive than this previous regime. They're going to scrap things that do not work. They're not going to stick to this rigid ideology and this rigid offense. Now, the offensive line upgrade, I think, will allow them to do that, at least better than what we saw in the past. But at the same time, I I think if something doesn't work, they're not just going to keep, you know, ramming their heads into the freaking wall or throwing monkey crap at a wall like we've seen in previous regimes, dude. They're going to adjust a little bit. And that's probably one of the main takeaways I have from these three practices and things that Dable has also said in his press conferences. Yeah, I mean, look, you're right, Nick. We heard from Dable today who said, I thought this was a great answer. He was talking about how there's been some route concepts so far that they've tried to introduce. They put it in practice. They practice it once. It didn't go great. They practice it twice. It didn't go great. Practice three, four times. It didn't go great. And he said, look, he goes to cap. He goes, look, throw that out. We're done. We're moving on. And I love to hear that, that flexibility that Daves is bringing to this offense from a route concept standpoint and understanding that the better option is to just do more of what works for your quarterback and for your offense than throwing a bunch of different things or thinking something should work based on the scheme and based on your thought process to putting those plays in or those route concepts in those combinations. But then you realize, look, it doesn't work for our offense. It doesn't work for Daniel Jones from a progression standpoint. It doesn't work for the receivers. It's not going. And then you move on from it. I feel like in the past with Jason Garrett, that's been the opposite case. It's been like, here's what the route combinations are. This is where you're supposed to be. If it's not working, we need to practice it more, right? Like if it's not working, just do it over and over and over again until it works. I don't love that. You know, some things are just not going to work for your offense. And so the ability to kind of audible out, if you want to, if you will, if you want to use that word or just move on from something is so much better for me because there's so many different route combinations and concepts you can use. There's no value in in just slamming something down the throat saying, you know, the only reason this isn't working is because it's not practiced well enough. No, maybe it's not working because it's a bad combination for your offense or maybe it's not working because your receivers don't fit this combination or your quarterback personally doesn't process this well enough and or whatever it may be. The point is move on and try something new. We're talking about this at this part of camp. So in a lot of these team periods, they're going up against Wink Martindale's defense, right? So that defense is giving them looks that they're more than likely going to run. They're both practicing and getting used to the coordinators, the players are. So come week one and week two, and once the season progresses, the Giants coaching staff is going to be game planning for the opponent that week. So some of these route concepts and these route combinations may come back and they'll practice them that week if that's the way to attack the critical vulnerabilities of that said defense that they're going up against. But right now, this is week one of training camp and and both of these, the offense and the defense are just trying to establish their own identity. So, I mean, things can change drastically throughout the season. The coordinators, they always just prepare for that next opponent and that's what they're going to be hyper focused on so you could see some of these route concepts that are being scrapped come back but i still love the fact that they're like it's not working right now let's find something that can work in these team periods or that makes daniel jones comfortable or or it works against the look that wink martindale is employing against them so i mean the adjustments is something that i'm just i'm I'm pretty i'm pretty psyched about i think we're going to see a lot of that throughout the season hopefully yeah, I think you're right. And we're going to get to a lot more on this show. We want to talk about Daniel Jones's big Wednesday practice, his best practice of the year, and a pretty good Tuesday practice, too, with the exception of two throws. So it's the offense starting to click a little bit. Kenny Galladay had a really good practice on Wednesday. We're going to get to that. But I do want to talk a little bit through some of what I saw Monday, uh, just watching training camp live and following practice along. Felt like the defense definitely had the edge on those one-on-ones. We talked a little bit about... Um, you know, Shane Ziminen's, Shane Ziminen's, uh with a nice rip, uh, nice rep to get around Evan Neal. You <laughs> I love how you, how you say Ziminez, dude. Yeah, Ziminez with a nice rep, X-Man with a nice rep. I was listening to Sean O'Hara who broke it down, and he and what he said is something he's noticed with Neil on that, on that specific rep and in general so far in camp. The two things he, he thinks he has to do a better job with, especially in those situations, are one, his kick slide, and then two, the angle he takes. What are your thoughts on O'Hara's analysis of uh, Neil's rep there and just in general? a little bit better job with the kick slide and, and the angle he takes. 
Yeah, I brought that up a little bit before. It, it makes a lot of sense because the angle was a little bit flat and he didn't kick out to get and square up to O'Shane Zimenez because I guess maybe he feared an inside type of counter move because that inside jab foot and that little just hesitation that Evan Neal had allowed O'Shane Zimenez to use his burst and explosiveness to dip the inside shoulder corner, get his hips into the pocket, and like I said, virtually go untouched. Yep, you nailed that. And then one other thing I wanted to mention from that first practice was Ben Bredesen, I was watching, he had a really nice rep in there at the center position. And then I don't find it to be too much of a coincidence that that was Monday. And on Tuesday, he was getting first team center reps after that. Uh, just a sleeper. I know he's been was buried at the beginning of camp. We thought maybe that was it. Turn the page. But they're trying all sorts of different combinations in the offensive line. And Dave said he's going to continue to try all sorts of different combinations on that line throughout the rest of camp. Maybe the preseason. Bredesen's gotten some looks. Jamil Douglas, Feliciano. Obviously, Shane Lemieux has even gotten some looks at center. Different Four different guys have gotten some first-team reps there. I'd love to see Bredesen with that really look good to me in those one-on-ones. One of, the, one of the few linemen besides Andrew Thomas who had good reps there. And so just somebody to keep an eye on as, as maybe an option for the center position. Yeah, and Azudu also had a really good rep against David Moa where he just like clamped him down with those freaking strong-ass hands that he has. But generally speaking, it, it's been defensive heavy in terms of winning. Yeah, those one-on-ones are just going to be tough, tough for these linemen to win. Um, let's get a little into some of the stuff we saw from Tuesday's practice. Let's start with something that's not that important to me personally, but some people are going to love to hear. The David Sills Army can, can, <laughs> can rejoice because David Sills had a great practice on Tuesday. Five catches in the live team drill. Capped it off with a really nice TD in the red zone after Saquon kind of made this awesome, awesome back shoulder catch uh, that got them to the one-and-a-half, two-yard line. And it was capped off with the Sills TD. Sills is working with the first team offense, man. And he obviously has this crazy good rapport with Daniel Jones. They spent so much time together in the offseason working. Crazier things have happened. I'm personally not a huge believer in his talent level once it gets to the point of not facing those preseason level corners. He has to face uh, the NFL caliber corners. But look, man, we've seen weirder things happen with these kind of receivers, especially ones who have a great rapport, who are picking up the offense fast. He does make plays. I mean, to me, from what I've seen so far in this camp and just from what I've seen just a little bit of from last year, I personally prefer like an Alec Bachman type. I thought a Bachman made a really good play in Tuesday's practice they put up on the training camp live where he made a catch near the sideline, adjusted his body and got upfield with a lot of speed, used a lot of power to separate on that route. But look, Sills is the guy who gets most of these first team reps and uh, out of these guys. Um, and maybe he can make make some kind of movement here he doesn't really offer much on the special teams front so i know that's going to hold him back what are your thoughts on him potentially making the roster this year i mean i think he has a shot but it's still deep here i mean we talk about darius slayton who has had it up and down he had a pretty nice catch i believe on tuesday's practice but he's struggled a little bit with his hands so far through training camp colin johnson is also having a pretty good camp by all accounts i know he's making some plays separating a little bit you know that size will be valued in the red zone and also if kenny galladay gets injured colin johnson is a pretty good I guess, profile to replace him. And then Richie James is also getting hyped like crazy. So where the heck is David Sills going to to slide in? That That's kind of like my main thing with David Sills. Yeah. And I'm kind of on the same page with you. I'm not overly excited about David Sills. I think he's a cool story. I think it's great that he's rising to the occasion in training camp and that he really focuses on his craft in the offseason. But I don't know if he has the type of upside like some of these other players who are on this roster. So ultimately, I don't know if he will make it. Yeah, to me, look, other receivers are having good camps. I'm a huge Colin Johnson fan. This dates back to his time at Texas. Me and Nick broke him down in that draft class. We thought he was a good target for the Giants later in that draft. They didn't get him ultimately, but then they found a way to get him from Jack- from Jacksonville last year. And I've seen him so far in camp. He looks the same to me. He's very smooth for his size. He, to me, offers a ton more than a player than a prospect like David Sills. To me, it's not even really close between those two. Um, just as far as projection goes and, and long-term actual help within a game. And we've seen it. Colin Johnson has made some plays on an NFL field before, and he's looked good. So I like Colin Johnson from that group. And then one player that was talked about a bunch on Monday from Madeline Burke, who was doing the training camp live that night with Sean O'Hara. And Madeline Burke is there every single day in practice. She's in, we've had her on the show. She's unbelievable. She's excellent at breaking down this stuff. In my opinion, she's one of the best that they have. Um, outside of the obviously the former players and Sean O'Hara and Howard Cross, the guys who have seen the game from playing it. But she talked about, look, there's been a steady drumbeat. She didn't say that, but I'm using that word because that's what it's been. 
with Richie James, who she said has made a lot of really good plays in practice. It's not just the plays he's making. She was talking about the quick twitch he's, he's displayed, the burst to get in and out of his breaks. I don't know, man. Richie James is another guy who, to me, profiles as a better option than even a David Sills type. Yeah, and we've talked about Richie James on previous podcasts about his ability to to be somewhat similar to a Kadarius Tony Wandell Robinson in the sense that he's a, maybe a little bit more of an inside guy and he can create separation just through short area quickness, quick change of direction, and, and his like lateral agility and ability to just kind of flip his hips, put his foot in the ground, and then just explode out of his break. That's what Richie James did well, dating back to his time at Middle Tennessee State. And then the 49ers, he was a little hurt there. It seems like Brian Dable and Joe Shane looked at his skill set they signed him and they were like, maybe this guy could be like an Isaiah McKenzie for this team here. I think Wanda Robinson is going to have a much bigger role than maybe we originally anticipated when the Giants drafted him. And Richie James, his upside on special teams, I think ultimately that will be a primary reason why he would make this team. And I do think he has a higher upside than someone like David Sills. Yeah, without a doubt there in my mind, at least. So that's something good to see. A few other notes from the Tuesday practice stood out to me, at least. Man, this has been all camp, but Leonard Williams has been basically unblockable in these one-on-one drills. These guards and these interior guys are having so much trouble with him. I think from just my perspective of looking at him, he looks like he's in the best shape he's been since he's been with the Giants. I'm curious to get your take on that. Like I, I see him just ripped up in there with not an ounce of fat and just looking absolutely explosive in these drills. Uh, to me, this could be potentially – there's no, no, no reason why this can't be Leonard Williams' best season as an NFL pro, especially within such an aggressive system like this. I mean, he's going into, what, his age 28 season. That's prime for a lot of these defensive linemen, especially the interior guys. So I'm pretty excited about what I'm seeing so far with Leonard Williams. I'm excited about both those main defensive linemen. Leonard Williams having a phenomenal camp, like you said. But Dexter Lawrence, too, man. I mean, some of these clips that came up from Monday's practice, holy yeah. crap. He literally like lifted Jamil Douglas <laughs> off the ground, it seemed like, and just walked him back. I hope to see that. During the season, he was uh, entertaining during his press conference. He was a little bit cocky. He said that, yeah, I didn't start that fight with Shane Lemieux. I finished it. But, he, you know, he squashed the beef and said that they basically locker mates and everything. It's all well and good. It's just what happens on the football field happens on the football field. But I like his mentality. I like the way he talks. And I'm just hoping that him, too, along with Leonard Williams, can have a really good season. Because, bro, if that defensive front can reach their potential. Like we're talking about one of the better defensive fronts in, in the NFL, if they can reach their potential. That's a big if, and that's a big ask, because you're talking about a top 10 pick in Leonard Williams. You're talking about a top 20 pick in Dexter Lawrence, top five pick in Kayvon Thibodeau, and then Azizo Jolari fell a little bit because of the injury. But man, there's a lot of potential there. And if they could scratch it, bro, we're looking at a really, really good defensive front that can hopefully take a little bit of pressure off the secondary that is a little bit on the weaker side. And keeping it on the defensive line, at least for now, We've talked about how these edges have been so screaming off the ball. I mean, look, Emery Hunt, who is uh, covering the Giants at camp, he's not a Giants beat reporter. He works for us with CBS Sports at HQ. He just talked about earlier how he thinks this edge group is really, really good and going to be really, really good for the Giants. He feels like he's seen a lot of the guys like O'Shane Zimenez and obviously Quincy Roche and those secondary guys, in addition to obviously Kayvon Thibodeau. And this is all without Aziz Ojalaria on the field. Like, once they get Aziz back into the mix as well, a rocked-up Aziz who put on like 10 to 12 pounds of pure muscle, now we're looking at an edge group that's even scarier to deal with. And if this already they're making, if they're already so impressive without him, I'm just excited to see what it's going to be like with him. We haven't had an exciting edge group in a long time. Like even looking back to last year, we were like, okay, this could be a little bit better with Aziz Ojolari in the mix. We can start to see some decent progress here but now it's like we have a chance to have an alpha in Gavon Thibodeau a potential alpha two or a, I don't know what to use the word but a really good 1A in Aziz and then different guys who can be used in different situations and will be because it's such an aggressive defense coming off the edge so that's exciting there's been a nice steady drum beat just keeping it on the kind of front seven here it's been a nice steady drum beat uh Nick with Jalen Holmes I mean this is a player who's continuing to get first team reps now was kind of, in my mind, like a hybrid O-line slash DN type, but now looks like he's going to be playing exclusively. I don't want to say exclusively. They'll probably mix him around, but he could be kind of that gap shooter, I think, for them. And it's just interesting to see him getting a ton of first-team reps. Any thoughts on any of that? Yeah, Jalen Holmes, he was coached under Andre Patterson when they were together in Minnesota. And Patterson isn't at practice right now for, for health reasons, but I'm hoping he can get back soon. I'm not 100% certain what's going on with that entire situation. But I watched a lot of Jalen Holmes dating back to his Ohio State days. 
And he was a player that was very versatile, can line up at anywhere from basically one technique in passing situations all the way out to outside of the tackle at like a five technique position. And he could be that penetrating force. He's very, very long. He's about six foot five. I think he has like 34 inch arms. It's pretty solid right there. And he's like 285 pounds. So he has that tweener type of thing. But I think he could operate as a situational type of player in passing situations. I don't know if he'll ultimately make this team right here. The Giants brought in Nick Williams. They, I think they gave him a little bit of a signing bonus, which speaks pretty well to him. They obviously have Jelly, who is more of a nose tackle type. So it'll be interesting to me to see if Jalen Holmes can actually seize a roster spot here. Cause I don't necessarily know if it's going to be up in the air. You also have guys like Christopher Hinton, who there's a little bit of buzz around him, the UDFA out of Michigan. And he has a similar type of build. He's not as nearly as long or as tall, but he's still like, you know, around that 290 pound range, 300 pound range. So I, I, I'm not certain if he'll make the team, but he is a player with familiarity and he's somebody who can offer a skill set that would seemingly fit what Wink Martindale wants to do in terms of just pressuring gaps and getting up field and, and kind of causing havoc with his quick first step. Yeah, exactly. That's they've need they kind of need someone to step into that role. And I feel like he's at least early on seizing that opportunity. And that makes that I don't want to say he can have like an Austin Johnson like impact last year, because obviously Austin Johnson was really made a really good impact on a down to down basis. But he could but within this system, anything is possible. Like it's set up, it's predicated to take advantage of or I guess to, I shouldn't say take advantage of, I should say it's predicated to highlight these types of players who have that quick first step and that ability to penetrate uphill and make an impact in that way as well. I want to talk a little bit about a couple other things I noticed from the Tuesday practice. A couple of really good throws by the quarterbacks that I thought stood out to me. The first was Daniel Jones's touchdown pass to David Sills. Just from the video I saw, Nick, he's rolling to his left. He's off balance. He's throwing from an off balance platform. And he puts a really good trajectory on the football to allow Sills to go up and catch the ball, to keep it away from the defensive back. I know it's not a long throw by any means here. It's a red zone throw after they got to the two. But just the ability for Jones, in my mind at least, to make that to make that roll off to his left, to be off balance, not be thrown from that even platform with the shoulders squared, and to put the right trajectory on the ball despite having all those things working against him. That's the type of stuff I want to see more from Jones. That's where, where I really question his arm talent is when it comes to the off-platform throws, when he's not just throwing from that balance base with the shoulder squared. So I thought that was a really interesting throw. And then Tyrod Taylor made a touchdown pass to Chris Myrick that uh, I thought was a really good throw for Tyrod Taylor. A little bit longer, similar idea, rolling to his left, and just had to put different kind of trajectory on this football to make this throw. Like if you watch where the arm, the arm angle from this throw, he, he, he starts the throw from kind of, just under his shoulder pads and kind of in the mid range and still is able to put different kind of trajectory on the ball to get the ball up and over and into the spot where Chris Meyer could only make the play on it. And it was ruled, uh, I guess it was ruled like he out of bounds because it was such a nice throw. So, so, so kind of pinpoint right into that spot, but it was actually a touchdown when you look at it, uh, when you kind of run back the, the video and you see that he did get both feet in. Yeah. Both of those throws had some touch on it. The, the throw by Jones, I like specifically because as you brought up, couple different times jones he's not that great you know throwing on the run it's something that we've seen on film and he was kind of fading away like like eli manning kind of classic where you just fade away buy yourself time buy yourself time buy yourself time and just find somebody in the back of the end zone that's kind of what we saw there with the david sills wrap uh touchdown and i'm wondering how he created that separation against adoree jackson david sills just because we don't necessarily see like the route concept between david sills and wandell robinson to that side of the field and that's Tyrod taylor throw was just a really nice throw layered over the top perfectly placed hit and stride if it's the throw that i think you're talking about it was a it was an impressive throw with some touch the one that i commented on on twitter yeah i think yep that's the one and so really ultimately ultimately that second that tuesday that yesterday practice was a really good day for jones from what from what we've seen but we've heard exception of two throws two really bad throws two really bad decisions and then obviously the rest is good you can talk about Interception in the red zone to Adoree Jackson. Adoree Jackson, by the way, two interceptions yesterday at practice. That's great to see because he's a guy who the idea of what he is in my mind is so different than what what he is from those who just kind of follow the box score stuff or just kind of are away from the Giants on a day-to-day basis. It's so different than what he put on tape last year watching the film with you, with what we did for the podcast. Because he was a really good corner on tape last year and just didn't get the interceptions. There's some people saying, oh, he has terrible hands. I don't even know if that's necessarily true, Nick, because I think it's based on like such a small sample size of dropped interceptions he had last year. Like, yeah, there were plays he could have made. There were multiple plays, but not under a handful of plays he could have made. 
that's too small of a sample size for me. Um, and he just didn't get thrown at a lot. So I thought he had a really good practice. What do you make? Do you want to break down what you thought, what you saw on the uh, on the interception, the pick six by Adoree Jackson against Jones? Yeah, so first off, I think it's that Falcons uh, game that a lot of people hold against Adoree right. Jackson. The yeah, end zone drop, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, w- that was an unfortunate one. But again, it, it happens. And the Giants probably would have won the game if if he does secure that. So the, the play right here, I'm going to pull it up. Yeah, and then they wouldn't have gotten uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, so kind of had to be dropped that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fortuitous, right? It's fortuitous. So I got the play up. I didn't get to see the other interception. It seems like I think I saw somebody tweet on Twitter that the receiver slipped on one of the, the other Adoy Jackson one, but the one that I put on Twitter and it seemed to be making its rounds, I don't think Daniel Jones is staring Kadarius Tony down here. It's so hard for me to tell. You can't see what exactly is happening because you only see basically – the center and this is a nine on nine drill so you have the backside defenders not even really doing anything they're just sitting there with bobby johnson but i'm trying to follow daniel jones's eyes and i think there's a route concept to that side of the field maybe a corner route maybe a flat route and i think he's reading the defense and it's hard to completely tell with full certainty but once darian beavers 41 just kind of crosses in the middle of the field to go cover a route on that side of the field daniel jones kind of then follows Kadarius Tony and throws a ball with that did not have great velocity and wasn't placed really terribly behind Tony, but he didn't lead Tony. So it wasn't a good throw. And then a Dory Jackson just broke on the ball, undercut the route, which was a little rounded by Tony and then took it back for a pick six. What I think Daniel Jones saw here was he saw 41 vacate the middle of the field and he knew he had outside leverage Adoree Jackson against Kadarius Tony, So he pulled the trigger and didn't put it in the best spot. And Jackson just makes a great play on it. I don't necessarily think he was following it the entire way. It's something that we've criticized Daniel Jones for. I've seen Daniel Jones lock onto receivers when the bullets are flying far too often for my liking. I'm not 100% certain that's what happened here, though. Either way, it still wasn't a great play by Daniel Jones. And it was a really good play by Adoree Jackson. Yeah, it's tough to say. When I first tweeted about it, I thought that it was an example. Jones kind of locking on and following his receiver just because as you watch the play unfold, you can see his helmet and his eyes move with Tony in that direction. But it could easily just have been, and I've kind of come around to what you're saying now, Nick. I actually don't think it was an example of that now because it could easily have just been he's looking to the left side and understanding what you said once he sees that linebacker, that second-level defender, vacate that that area of the field. He feels like he can kind of get back to Tony. But I'll say this. If that's the case, and I'm going to accept that it is for now, we don't know if he locked on or if he didn't. We're going to say he didn't for now. If that's the case, I still think he needs to do a much better job of snapping back to the right side yep. there instead of kind of just slowly moving his helmet mm-hmm. and his eyes with, with where he now thinks Tony will be. Snaps back, and he just gets that ball out into a lead spot. There's two things that he can do so much better there. One, snap back, snap snap his shoulders and get to that side, but also then lead the pass. Like, if you're just going to slowly move your eyes with Tony and then kind of slowly get into your throwing motion and then put that ball in that spot with, very, like you said, not great velocity, you give the defensive back an opportunity to do exactly what he did, drive on that throw and then undercut it. You need to put that ball way ahead of Tony, first of all. So the ball placement there is terrible, to be honest. It's not totally behind him, but... It can't be to him. It has to be in front of him to make that throw. With an undercut, with the defender driving on, on, on you underneath, you have to throw it way ahead of the receiver. Lead. You have to throw the anticipation in general to be a good quarterback in the NFL. That's just a general concept. But So whether it's behind him or not is not important. It has to be lead. It has to be in front of him. You have to anticipate where he's going to be. But more importantly, the fact that he didn't kind of snap, snap his shoulders and get to that spot gives that extra time for the defensive back, in this case of Jackson, to just drive on the ball. So... Overall, even if he didn't lock onto the receiver, this is definitely not a good rep for Jones. No, it wasn't. It was a good day, which is great to hear. Yeah. I'm also trying to look at his his footwork and everything, and it's hard to tell because it's shot a little bit on an angle. It's not straight Bad on. Video. I'm, yeah, I'm wondering if, <laughs> if Daniel Jones's feet were pointed a little bit like to the outside, and he just never really squared his shoulders, eyes, and feet up to throw this football, right. and he kind of tried to Kentucky windage the football into – the, the, the catch point and that's what maybe one of the technical issues that he had that that forced Tony to kind of stop up his route a little bit and catch on the back shoulder instead of you know leading him and hitting him in stride it could have been something like that also love to see Leonard Williams just kind of busting through and getting his hands in the air right there I mean Lemieux and Bredesen did I thought Bredesen did a good job kind of helping Lemieux there secure that block but then you still get your hands and your arms up in the air man it's like throwing through the forest with, with a guy like Leonard Williams but overall you're right dude it, it's not a great rep 
But overall, good day from Jones. One one or two bad reps. We didn't see the other interception, but definitely not a good rep. I mean, straight up bad rep from Jones on that interception for the reasons we broke down. But great day otherwise. And a lot of it was involving player a player we really want to see involved in this thing. Saquon Barkley is a receiver. Saquon Barkley was getting a ton of work. He's had screen pass in the red zone. Today's practice, he took for a touchdown. Wheel, t- wheel route TDs in the red zone. He had that back shoulder to get them down there. He's been utilizing a lot of different ways and aligned in a lot of different ways. We've been saying we've wanted to see this for years. We've had hints that it might happen at times, but now we're really getting it. We're truly getting Barkley as a big part of passing offense, and, and that's something I love to see. I'd love to see it, man. You did, you have to maximize these playmakers that you have. And you have three really interesting ones, and then Kenny Galladay. And that's not a slight on Galladay, but Galladay is who he is. He's a big-body receiver who's going to win contested catch situations. That's interesting. But what I mean by interesting is get the football in their damn hands, sit back, and watch. Get your popcorn ready, you know, Terrell Owens style, and just watch these guys make some of these defenders look silly. And we know Wondell Robinson, Kadarius Toney, and Saquon Barkley all have that ability. And if Saquon can just get to that 2018 Barkley, that rookie season Barkley that we saw. I mean, I I think the sky's the limit for that kid. Yeah, and I don't know what to make of this, but there have been multiple beats at camp, national national as well. Uh, I think it's been two that I've seen at least of that have said Barkley has his burst back. And that's something that maybe they felt like he didn't have from watching practices last year. He was recovering from the injury, so that was a different situation. But that's what makes Barkley Barkley. We went over it when we broke down the running back. So if you want to just reference that, you can go back to our running back preview podcast from a month ago. But Barkley's explosive play rate and his breakaway percentage from his rookie season is ultimately what made him what he was. He was essentially CJ2K. He was Chris Johnson, prime Chris Johnson when Johnson had that big year. He was another version of that, but with more power, with more potential after the contact. And obviously, I don't want to say... Uh, better but probably better receiving upside than than Chris Johnson ever had um and if you can get back to that that gives you such a weapon on offense they won ga- a lot of games that way the Titans with just an explosive piece like Chris Johnson to break away and so if he does have that explosion that burst that break back that's big news for the Giants for sure love to see it hopefully it happens and not to circle too far back to Daniel Jones but we we, we should probably also bring up a couple of those throws on August 3rd today's practice that he had to Kenny Galladay yeah, let's get to today's practice. There's a lot to talk about there with the with the offense. So I, I do want to do one qualifier, though, before we move on. Just one quick thing. Speaking back to the Tuesday practice where Jones was sharp with the exception of that two bad plays. It was also they were doing the third and the third and long plus practice. So that makes it even putting that context in makes it even more impressive, I think, from Jones. Absolutely. I mean, I think the way the Giants are running this camp is it, each practice is going to have that specific focus. Like today's practice was specifically focused on, on running the football a little bit more than passing. But when they got in the team drills, they opened up the offense a little bit and they were also passing the football. And that kind of led to that final drive where Daniel Jones, I believe, he went six for six. And we can kind of get into that now. Yeah. So let's get into Jones's practice now. Where would you want to start? Or did the overall Giants practice today and obviously a huge day from Jones. Where would you want to start there? Yeah, it was a primary focus on rundowns, nine on seven drills. That's what Brian Dable said before the practice. And Jones finished really strong. He was six for six. He found Kenny Galladay twice. His last pass of the day was Kenny Galladay for a touchdown over the shoulder. Beautiful pass. Also hit David Sills, Andre Miller, and Wando Robinson for a completion on that final drive. But that final pass, man, that touchdown pass by Daniel Jones, Kenny Galladay and Adoree Jackson, that's what you want to see, right? Your number one, quote unquote, receiver against your definite number one cornerback and I would say Galladay did a really good job with his inside arm swimming over the top of Jackson to to release successfully outside and almost kind of stack I think Jackson does a really good job kind of staying in phase it really required a perfect throw here from Daniel Jones over that inside shoulder of Kenny Galladay and Daniel Jones just put it right on target and if you look and slow that video down Madeline Burke tweeted it you can see Adoree Jackson's hand is probably about three inches, maybe even less away from that football from getting a PBU. And it took Kenny Galladay a lot of concentration to secure this pass through the contact, make the catch and get his feet in bounds. So that was a really nice play from Daniel Jones and Kenny Galladay and not even terrible coverage from Adoree Jackson. Yeah, that was, I mean, look, this is what we've been waiting for, for Kenny Galladay for a long time since he signed here. This is something I wasn't so sure we were going to get because I didn't necessarily think that the mat that the I guess I want to say I didn't feel like it was the perfect quarterback connection for him with Daniel Jones based on Jones's skill set. 
But that doesn't mean that they can't evolve into doing things that work well for Kenny Galladay within the red zone and then obviously on the back shoulder stuff because that throw that he made downfield on the back shoulder to Galladay, that's what I've been waiting for. I mean, last year we got one from Glennon. We felt like I felt like I didn't get too many from Daniel Jones, and that's where Galladay wins. If there's not any, there's not really, if you rewatch that route, there's not really any kind of great separation from Galladay. He doesn't really do any, he doesn't, in my mind, he has an interesting release off the line of scrimmage, but it's really just an outside release that he kind of gets a half step on. And then as it slows down for that back shoulder play, there's not much separation, but he uses his absolutely strong hands at the catch point and makes the makes the back shoulder throw, ca- catches it, and then secures it for the first down. And like you said earlier in the practice when he had that vertical route that he won, or another good ball by Jones, by the way. Both of these balls were good by Jones on the outside shoulder and in the right spot. But on the on the on the vertical that he won earlier, I mean he does a great job of using his body to shield and to kind of stack vertically to make that catch. So he's shown a little bit of everything. The ability to win with vertical releases with uh you know just getting excellent separation or He's using his body to stack to create separation. Then you, and on throws that he just doesn't have much separation, he's done a great job of kind of using his strong hands and his concentration at the catch point to make those big back shoulder plays. So everything I've seen from Kenny Galladay is starting to get me more excited because I was a little down on him just based on the injury. But if he can, if they can utilize him this way as kind of this downfield option, this intermediate option, this guy you can kind of throw the back shoulder to. Because if you look at that play, the back shoulder throw he made, uh, Jones made to Galladay, it's everything that we've seen that Jones does well. He uses his eyes perfectly in this one. You could watch his helmet as he holds the safety there, who's Xavier McKinney. If he diagnoses that single eye safety, he does a great job of holding. Then he just snaps back and makes that throw. That's what I want to see. Use your eyes to, to, to hold the safety, then snap your body back and make that throw. And so definitely starting to see a better connection with Jones and Galladay. That's what we need, man. We need a connection between Jones and Galladay. And one more thing on the touchdown catch from Kenny Galladay. If you watch where the ball is placed... Galladay catches it like on his inside shoulder and he does such a good job just just simply just taking the ball and moving it towards his outside shoulder and then bringing his inside shoulder to kind of just nudge Dory Jackson off. It's it's so subtle and it's so simple, but it's a play that's going to ensure that Dory Jackson, who is very feisty and pesty, isn't going to be able to knock that football away on his way down, which we've seen several times throughout camp where like a receiver like Robert Foster will have the football in their grasp and then Darren Evans just knocks it out. Exactly. And that's one of the, you know, traits that we thought was kind of in that elite range with Gallet when they signed him. Like the ability to make those difficult catches and to come up with them and not have the ball jarred loose by, you know, pr- pretty good coverage or a good play by the defensive back. So definitely all on the good front there. Anything else from uh this practice that stood out to you? Because I wanted to talk a little bit about um well, let's get into this first. I thought there was it was interesting to see one a, a formation they used where it was Wandell Barkley and Tony all on the field at the same time, all lined up to start in the backfield before motioning out. They asked Wandell after practice about that, and he his eyes lit up. He was really excited to hear that. It just seems like they're really doing creative things to get to get these playmakers on the field at the same time and in a variety of ways that will keep the defense off guard. What does Wink Martindale want to do? Right, he said he wants to dictate terms to the offense. Well, Brian Dable isn't going to allow opposing defenses to dictate terms to him. And what better way to do that than align these three crazy playmakers in the backfield and then motion them out to their spots and the defense has to adjust and be like, okay, you got this, you got this. And then the defense is figuring out what they have before they have any kind of time to realize what exactly they're doing. The play is snapped and then they just have to react. So it's not like the defense has any chance to really dictate to the offense because the offense is keeping everything ambiguous. Yeah, exactly. And that's, again, so such a change from what they were doing last year. I mean, you have a potential situation where you can have Kadarius Tony lined up as a wildcat quarterback. And this could all be within like you could do this mid drive. You can be running a tempo drive. Mm-hmm. Where Jones is at quarterback. You have Tony on the field, Robinson and Barkley, just a regular drive where you'd have those guys lined up normally and in the middle of the drive. You motion Jones out wide. You put Tony in as a wildcat quarterback. Now you have an option to run wildcat. Tony can potentially throw the ball. The former quarterback. He has good arm talent. I've seen it like be quite honest. It's not NFL level probably, but he has pretty solid arm talent for, for, for what he is. Uh, and you got, you got Barkley Wandell in the backfield. There's just a lot of different options there. A lot of different options, and I'm excited to see how they all coexist with each other. I think if you get creative enough and that offensive line holds up and, you know, the biggest question mark, if Daniel Jones can really kind of rise to the occasion, there's a lot of fun things the New York Giants can do with those three playmakers. Without a doubt there, Nick. A few other snippets and notes from practice. 
Andre Miller continuing to get some first-team reps as tight end. I mean, look, I said it on the last podcast we did. I think he adds that vertical element that Dable is looking for within his system. And so I wouldn't be surprised if he starts to move up this depth chart and, and has a chance to at least win it out. It's going to be tough for him. It's a tough transition, but interesting to see as well as Andrew Thomas getting some first-team reps at safety now when they're going to that dime package when they're putting in the three safeties. Because, look, now obviously, you know, you could use of Corker will get a chance, but Andrew Adams seems like a better fit at least for the role that uh, Dane Belton was playing now that he's injured. Belton's not going to get surgery, but is probably out until the regular season at the, at the very earliest. Um, it's going to be tough for him after that, missing all the camp and things of that nature. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. And, and like we talked about a little bit earlier, Shane doing well in the individual drills, now starting to get some first-team reps as well at outside backer. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped for Andrew Adams' opportunity here. I'm glad the Giants went out and, and signed him. They're still going to need another safety to step up because I feel like there's going to be a rotation there other than Xavier McKinney, who's going to play basically every snap. But that safety position is is interesting, man, because we're high on, on two UDFAs there in Trenton Thompson and Yusef Corker. And things, for lack of a better term, broke well for them because in order for them to really have an impact on this team, they needed injuries to happen. And that's just the unfortunate reality of the situation that they were in as UDFAs. Dane Belton going down and now Deron Williams getting released. They bring in Gerard Wilson, see what he can offer. I know he blitzed a lot last year for the Jets and Robert Salda's defense. And you know that's translatable to what Wink Martindale wants to do. So that competition between Corker, Thompson, and now Wilson should be hard fought. But at the same time, like I think whoever wins that job is going to find some snaps on defense. Yeah, without a doubt. In this style of defense, where they're going to be using sub package a lot and they're going to be using three safety looks a decent, a lot, you know, not a lot in the, in overall sense, but comparatively relatively to the rest of the NFL teams for sure. And they're going to need guys like that. So we'll see what happens there, but you're right. Yeah. So overall pretty interesting three days of practice. I think for me, the key takeaway is Jones is starting to look sharp. I mean, 16 of 20 overall on Tuesday, 14, 16 team drills came back even stronger today on Wednesday with some really nice passes, held the safety for that back shoulder to Galladay better trajectory, better ball placement in the red zone. Uh, so, look, that's what we need to see. That's the key to this this team is Jones' development. We all know that. There's no there's no secret there. So definitely some good signs coming from practice, and I'm excited to see this team moving forward for the rest of the week. And then obviously on Friday, they're going to have a scrimmage at FanFest that I'm looking forward to as well. Me and Nick will be there in attendance again. So if you want to meet up, hit us up on Twitter. We'll talk, and hopefully we see you guys there. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.